Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. All right, welcome everyone to a possibly very long episode of Reconsider, part of the Agora Podcast Network, where we don't do the thinking for you. I'm just going to kind of like mea culpa right now that as the world has just, you know, caught fire, uh, literally and figuratively in a number Mm -hmm. of ways, we've, you know, Xander and I have been like, okay, let's like focus, you know, let's like not chase the news. Let's focus on um, stuff that that is going to have a big impact. And, you know, I I worry that we might have come off as a bit out of touch saying like, hey, look, you know, uh, you know, does the U.S. fight rational wars? And what if the Fed, you know, like, let's talk about the Fed right now, right? Like now's a great time to talk about what the Fed could do. And so we decided to get a little more topical and just like run straight at things today. The thing we're not running at is the president's health and the coronavirus. Uh, just that is just a matter of like, do we have all the information? And the answer is no. But what we are going to talk about are the president's now numerous and increasingly diverse suggestions uh, about how he's not really planning to respect the outcome of the election. Um, his team's efforts kind of from from like prepping, you know, trying to get delegates to vote uh, for him, to electoral college delegates to vote for him, even if he loses to just arresting Biden, uh, which would be convenient. Um, so we'll talk about some of those efforts. We'll discuss what the end game could look like. And uh, and then we're going to this may end up being a second episode. We'll see. But I want to I want to talk a little bit of like, how did it come to this? Right. Like how. How do you have 42% of the country supporting a guy who just says he doesn't plan to uh, respect the outcome of the election and just, you know, and, and did what he could to try to just arrest his political rival and put him in jail before the election, all that stuff. Like, how did it come to this? I want to I want to talk a little bit about media technology and how that's evolved as a possible hypothesis for it. Yeah. And I you threw out a mea culpa. I'll throw out another mea culpa. Probably part of the reason we haven't gotten to a more topical episode. Uh, somewhat more early is in part because, uh, like many of you folks, I've just been extremely overwhelmed by all of this, and it's been grating on my mental health a little bit. So, um, and you know, I have done this professionally for several years, so it's a difficult time. Eric, you've been an inspiring figure through this because you've been just putting putting your uh, head down and doing the work, getting involved in the ways that you need to, and out of it, everyone that I know, uh, Eric's been more optimistic, uh, or maybe more energized or a combination of both than, both, than many yeah. others. Yeah. So th- that's where we are. Um, but we're here to chat because we need to. So today is the 10th of October, <coughs> 2020. 
Biden has opened up his biggest lead <clears throat> in the in the race so far, 10.1 points, uh, according to 538's trends, um, and I believe an 85% likelihood of winning the election, up from a low of like 67, um, where currently he's you know projected to take everything from Pennsylvania, Florida, Arizona, North Carolina, Ohio, and he's knocking on the door of Georgia, of all places. It's looking really bad for the president, and it and you know this this spike recently came in came after the first debate, which was you know well you either you either saw it or you didn't uh at the first yeah. debate and the president getting the coronavirus probably very bad timing for him because it had the coronavirus had just started to uh kind of go off the airways and it was something that he could hopefully ignore and then he got it and and so Biden's lead is is big and ten points may not seem like a lot, but the last time. Xander, do you know the last time a United States president presidential election had the winner getting more than 10% more of the national vote than the second place guy? I don't. Enlighten me. You don't want to guess? <laughs> more than 10% more than, than the next guy. Yeah. Um, was it Nixon? No, it was actually sooner than that. It was Reagan Mondale. Oh, okay. Um, Re- if Reagan Mondale, I'll actually just bring it up live here. The was that 1988 and 1988. Yep, there we go. Sorry, it was 1984 because uh, 1988 was Bush Dukakis. Uh, 1984, 58.8% to 40.6. So it was a 18 point win for Reagan over Mondale, uh, winning every single state. Uh, sorry, winning 49 out of 50 states, uh, not carrying Minnesota because Mondale mm. was the governor of Minnesota and Minnesota is weird. So uh, <laughs> can you imagine, you know, so so that's not that's not going to happen this election. But uh, no, nothing, nothing has been a 10 point difference since then. Uh, it could very well happen. So uh, in part because you still have this kind of like 4%. So you you take. You take 52 and 42, add them up, right? You get 94. You get about 2%. They're going to vote for Jorgensen Hawkins. You get that 4% left. And, and look, honestly, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist, but I suspect that President Biden is going to slurp up a larger portion of that, than, of that 4% than Mr. Trump. And so the guy could really be sitting there with like 55% of the vote to like 43 or something. And it would just be... You know, it would be a shellacking. The Democrats are in a good position to be able to take back the Senate. Five thirty-eight currently gives them a more than sixty-seven percent chance. Last time I checked, of winning the Senate, um, averaging about fifty-one seats. Sorry, sixty-eight now. It's gone up, um, averaging wow, averaging fifty-one seats. The toss-ups being Iowa and. Well, the toss-up is Iowa, but then you have all these like slight lean Republicans in Georgia, Kansas, and Mon- Montana that the Democrats are trying to come after. Um, so if there's like a one or two point shift in the Democrats' favor there, they could end up with like 53 or 54. So it's it's looking like a and and it's worth noting that you know the Senate's weird because you only vote for a third of them at any given period of time. And in 2018, the Democrats actually like disappointed. Um, they didn't do as well as they could have. And, and in 2018, kind of uh, everyone was writing, ah, yes, the, there's really no chance that the Democrats take back the Senate in 2020. 
uh, that's now it's looking, you know, two to one odds that they will. So oh, bad time for the Republicans. Bad time. And a lot of folks, uh, a lot of folks, a lot of Republican senators are beginning to distance themselves from the president. And that's something that you don't see too, too often when the president is in the same party as the, Repu- as the um, senator that's running, right? Because more often the president gets so much more media attention right. that, that uh, senators and congressmen will, will hitch, their, hitch themselves to the presidential bandwagon. And that's, that relation is beginning to tether a little bit with even um, Republican Majority Leader Mitch McConnell starting to very clearly say that he follows different health guidelines in the president and start to distance himself a little bit in that way. But, you know, that's also kind of reading the tea leaves a little bit. So who, who knows specifically? Um, now, I want to play devil's advocate a little bit, Eric, in part because you're more familiar with the numbers than I am mm-hmm. because you've just been following uh, the election data like a hawk, which Obsessively. I appreciate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, Biden has an 85% chance according to 538. Yep. Um, some folks are probably unfamiliar with 538. It's a meta-analysis, essentially, of multiple different polls. Folks who are familiar with 538 may say, yeah, sure, but didn't they say Clinton have a 75, had a 75% chance of winning in 2016? Why might that... What, what problems may, th- may there be with that response, and what's different in the numbers between this election and the last one? Great question. So a couple things are different. Um, <laughs> One of them is that, uh, is that so, so they actually had Hillary as high as like 90% at some point early on, and she went down to like 72 just before Election Day. Uh, yeah, and then lost. So a couple things are different. One of them is that um, if the polls stay the same, if all the polls stay exactly the same, Biden's chance of victory closer to the election is going to go up because the... You know, you can say with greater confidence that things are less likely to change a day before the election than mm-hmm. um, than a, than a month out. So what that means is that um, so the 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 fifteen percent that Trump has is like largely depending on just the uncertainty of time. Like something could happen, right? You could get a Comey moment, um, and uh, and so and so it's clear that Biden has a much wider. Uh, much wider margin, both nationally and in the states that matter, than Clinton had by a lot. So um, his his polling versus Trump in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Nevada, Minnesota, Michigan, uh, Florida, Arizona, North Carolina, Ohio is all way, way, way better than Clinton by by like five to by like five to seven points. Um, huge difference. And so and so, um. Yeah, and so what that what that means is like if these are the polls the day before the election, Biden's chance of victory according to 538's meta analysis, um, I think it's like a Monte Carlo simulation on crack, um, <laughs> uh, uh, is going to be higher than eighty five percent. So that's one thing is 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 that, and then the other thing is that uh, polling methodologies have changed. So these. Uh, the way that 538 rates these polls and uh, weights, you know, W-E-I-G-H-T, weights these polls has changed based on the fact that, you know, uh, turnout was, turnout for different demographic groups is a little bit different in 2016 than people predicted. So they, the polls were off, like to say the polls were off is like kind of true. They were off by about two to three points and they've now largely adjusted for that. So they'll be off in some way. Right, because they're just predicting a certain demographic turnout basket, right? And, and I'm sure it will be different in some way. 
but it's not going to be wrong for the same reasons. It could even be wrong in the opposite direction, right? It could be that, you know, more black Americans turn out than than the poll waiting um, predicts or or uh, or more young Americans turn out or something like that. So what that means is like the the systemic bias that was true in 2016 has been corrected for. Uh, again, it, something may be off a little bit, but um, but certainly compared to 2016, like this is not a close race. This mm-hmm. is very, very much Biden's to lose. Right. So it's not looking great for Trump, and he's essentially acting that way in a lot of ways. Certainly after he became ill with COVID, he has been acting desperately in a lot of ways. I mean, the the example that's coming immediately to mind is, I think it was like the day he returned to the White House from Walter Reed, or or maybe as while well, he was still in the hospital. I can't even keep track anymore. But right. he just had like this this Twitter storm, which is not unusual for the president, but it was just all caps yeah. with essentially non sequiturs. It's like, Lower taxes, vote. Um, dislike X. Vote. Law and order, vote. Yeah. And you know, it's it's very much the actions of someone who's who's desperate and feeling backed into a corner. Which, you know, for someone who has uh, threatened to not accept a peaceful transition of power, is a little worrisome. Right. And the example that's been coming to my mind, or the the idea that's that feels very relevant, is this idea of prospect theory and. If you've read Thinking Fast and Slow, Daniel Kahneman, great book. Prospect theory is basically the idea that we don't weight um, positive developments the same degree as we weight negative developments. And again, weight, W-E-I-G-H-T. So if you have less to lose, you're more likely to gamble. And if you have a lot to lose, then you're more likely to be conservative with your actions because you don't want to lose that stuff. So backed into a corner, uh, potentially looking um, at the prospect of not only losing, but then being prosecuted in a state uh, in state court. Uh, Trump clearly feels like he has a lot to lose. Yeah, let's let's go into that prosecution bit too, because I think this is very relevant here. Because frankly, like, look, why should Trump be so desperate to hang on to power? And ultimately, it's that the guy has very clearly just committed a lot of crimes while in office. You know the. The choice to repeatedly engage foreign powers to attempt to sway the election is it's criminal. It's a crime. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, even like he's committed so many crimes, you can't even keep track of them all. But and they're also brazen. So like, for example, using the White House as a campaign, as a campaign stop uh, or as like a rally is illegal. It is a crime. Yeah. Him using his position as president to promote the Goya bean brand is a crime. Right. Yeah. It is a it is a crime you go to jail for. And as we saw from the New York Times tax returns or the report on his tax returns, uh, he has been using his position as president. Probably no, literally nobody is surprised by this, like even his supporters to get, you know, his position as president to get more people to go to his like resorts at Mare Lago and such for, you know, official meetings and or, or to like stay there while trying to, you know, visit the president a lot of a lot of them are like foreign foreigners but a lot of them are just like domestic people who want you know political favors and that is a crime right it's it's called corruption right um Mm -hmm. it is classic graft and and it's it's just it's criminal right people go people should go to jail for that because it's illegal and you know and so look the president and i'm sure after he loses the election is either going to pardon himself or or try to resign and hope pence pardons him because that is uh, pardoning oneself is legally iffy. The president pardoning you while you're a private citizen is not legally iffy. 
So he might resign and get Pence to pardon him, but he's committed enough crimes in enough different states, um, including New York. Uh, I mean, one thing we know is that, like, the IRS is coming after him for $70 million that he may have uh, fraudulently gotten or gotten a, a uh, you know, fr- from, from committing tax fraud, he got $70 million uh, in returns or refunds from the government. That is a crime, right? You go to jail for it. And so the president can only pardon someone for national crimes, um, but there are plenty of state crimes that he's committed, and Pence or, or Biden couldn't protect him from those. Uh, right. And it very much seems like the New York attorney general is going to go after him. So the guy wants to avoid jail time, long story short. And, and also, he's got $400 million in debt or $450 million in debt to somebody that will be coming up at some point. And it's entirely possible he's just kind of, uh, again, he's, he's desperate. So what do you do? You just try to, you, you try to, push off the inevitable and, you know, and, and hope it works out for you. So there's a, there's a little bit of like speculating about what's going on in the guy's head. However, if you, if you are in a position where like you can't be prosecuted and uh, when you lose that position, you can't be prosecuted. It's pretty obvious. You want to, you want to hold on to power for personal reasons. Exactly. And before we hop into the, this bit about uh, partisan framing, which is, you know, we, we try to do a little bit of that every episode. It's kind of how we introduce our topics. I, I wanted to mention to you the new Dan Carlin podcast. Uh, fans of Dan Carlin, he came out with a recent Common Sense episode, which is exciting in part because he has been doing a lot of Common Sense lately, and he does Hardcore History, which is his long-form like novellas, essentially, and, and Common Sense is like an hour-long or so podcast, and he has been doing it because he's just been like, I don't, I don't even know what I have to add anymore, right. but one one thing that he said that has really made me think, because I have been personally on the fence about whether or not it would be a good idea to start prosecuting uh, presidents, in part because, you know, that can very quickly deteriorate mm. into a political process and you would have to have independent oversight. It'd have to man- be managed by the Justice Department. Something Dan Carlin said is like, you know, when I look at the Mongols and all of a sudden you're thinking, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> but of course, yes, when I look at the Mongols, they would... They would come and they would completely, utterly conquer a town, but they would never encircle it entirely. They, had all, they would always leave like a lane for traffic to pass through. And the idea, he said, was the Mongols didn't want their enemies to fight to the death because it was, they would lose fewer men. They would get it quicker. It would be less costly for them. They would take over the, the city and, and hold it. And like that, he was essentially arguing that there should be some sort of escape valve for Trump because it'd be, it's just better if he gets out. He's out of the office. We don't have to worry about him anymore rather than encouraging him to fight to the death, uh, whether that's figurative or, 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 or literal. I actually don't know. But I think it's I find it difficult to believe right now that he doesn't try to question the veracity of the election unless he wins honestly. So I think that may be coming either way. But I don't know. That's just what that's my two cents. I don't know what's going to happen. No one does. Right. I think I think part of it is it's very hard to create that um exit ramp right so like what can you know because because biden could say all he wants publicly all you know like trump has lied so often to everyone that Mm -hmm. if biden says hey look man when i win i'm not going to prosecute you just step down trump will be like uh yeah you can say that all you want but that's true you might still do (laughs) it and how are you going to stop new york from prosecuting me and how are you going to stop florida from prosecuting me? so so the you know, Biden or or the the Justice Department or someone like may not have the power or ability to give reasonable reassurances to the president that he won't be prosecuted on his way out. And the I think the you know the counter position to that is 
you know, is if the guy's going to fight anyway, right? Or maybe it doesn't matter whether he fights, but, you know, but I think the counterposition to that is like, do you, do you need to deter future potential presidents from committing crimes while in office? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because if they know that they won't be prosecuted, if there's a tradition of not prosecuting presidents while they're in power, you know, then they literally are above the law. Mm-hmm. Right. The only reason they would follow the law is because it's the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah. That politicians do that all the time. Right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So what, what's the framing here? We get to the election, Eric, and I guess the narrative on one side is clear, but the, the narrative on the other side that the, the, the legitimacy of the election may be called into question. What does that look like? Yeah. I mean, I remember for a little bit of context, you know, I, I remember it was somewhere between like the somewhere between the like Louis DeJoy USPS debacle and ah uh, yes those those halcyon days of yore two months ago right well somewhere between then and now or be- between then and and Trump saying you know what uh, just arrest Biden fuck it right like a matter of options somewhere between there there was this like peak I felt this peak in anxiety from my friends a lot of people were coming to me my mother. Friends of mine saying, do I need to buy a gun? Um, it may have been like around Kenosha or Kenosha, Kenosha, Wisconsin, around that time. Like, do I need to buy a gun? Is there going to be fighting in the streets? Oh, you know what it was? Sorry. It was the debate. It was when Trump said, stand by, right? Yeah. Stand by, proud boys. That was the moment. And was like, oh, God, like there's no good outcome here, right? It's just going to get ugly because the president is going to... Um, uh, yeah, and and I'll, I'll be getting I'll be getting to the partisan positioning in a second here, but the president is going to like unleash the dogs of war, and of course you could say, yeah, well, I mean, you know, don't don't overhype it. But then the FBI revealed that it arrested ten people who were engaged in a plot to kidnap the governor of Michigan and put her on a <clears throat> trial of the the people. Because President Trump didn't like her and was like, liberate Michigan, right? So like the, the, what we realized from that is that the president has a frightening amount of power with a, with a particular group of people to like, with a tweet, get them to do crazy things. Yeah. So um, he's kind of like a baby with a gun in that sense. And, uh, you know, and you really can't take the gun from his hands because it's Twitter. Maybe you kick him off Twitter or something because he's inciting violence. I don't know. But um. Actually, it's not a bad idea. But anyway, and so, and and so th- that that kind of peak of anxiety was there. That okay, he's going to contest the election. W- white nationalists with guns are going to like run around shooting people, and also like people were sharing these 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 articles about like kind of these wacky paths that Trump could like lose the election big time, but still end up president. So, so what's going on? I think the the way that the left is thinking about it is that. Well, look, there's no particular reason to believe that the vote is going to be rigged in some way that like there's going to be ballot box stuff. You know, the president hasn't been very hasn't been very specific about the details, of course, but that, you know, their 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 position right now is like, okay, there's there's not going to be like ballot stuffing. There is, of course, going to be um, voter suppression going on. And, uh, you know, there's this fight over how many ballot drop boxes per county are going to be in Texas, which is still ongoing. Uh, are you know and and so the left believes like okay the the democratic vote especially in cities is going to be suppressed by states that lean democratic but have a republican legislature um and then we're going to win anyway because we're polling so well 
Um, and then Trump is going to contest the election and he's like going to find some way to cheat and maybe win it. But maybe if he doesn't, you know, white nationalists are going to flood the streets and just start killing everyone. So that's not what everyone on the left thinks, but I've, I've heard a lot of it. And I think, I think everyone's willing to like entertain that any of these things could be true. And then on the right, the, the partisan positioning is, you know, Hey, look in 2016, three to 5 million votes were legally cast by somebody, something like illegal immigrants. Uh, for Hillary Clinton, and I won anyway. Isn't that amazing? And this is true, even though my, you know, even though I sent the Department of Justice to investigate my claims, and they found nothing. Um, it's still true, and and that 2020 is going to be the most fraudulent election in history because it's very easy to to commit voting fraud using mass mail in balloting. Um, and so and so the Democrats and or foreign powers. You know, I've heard stuff about like the Chinese just like shipping millions of votes somehow to It's always China. It's always their fault. China. And so the Chinese are somehow going to like ship millions of ballots for Joe Biden and Biden is going to steal, you know, the Democrats TM are going to steal the election that way. And there's no, you know, I, I, there's no evidence, but I don't need it. And yeah, and, and that's coming from the president. Although what's interesting is, is most GOP leaders are trying to stay mum on it. So it's it's really like there's there's a number of angles here. There's Trump's angle and and the you know and the kind of people that just believe whatever Trump says. Uh, there's the Democrats' angle, and then there's like the GOP kind of like quietly, desperately hoping that Trump can like in, you know fire people up to come out and vote again. But but they know they're playing with fire, and they're quietly encouraging people to use mail-in ballots anyway, even though Trump's saying not to because they don't want to lose the election. So it's, you know, it's a little it's a little heated right now. But short version is there's going to be voter fraud by the Democrats or uh, Trump is going to try to steal the election after losing um, through various methods that we can get into. OK, so let's let's hop into some of those those Claims. those constructs. Those, yeah. yeah parts. Now, the thing about voting fraud, um, we actually already looked into that in quite a bit of detail. Mm -hmm. We have an episode about it. We have a long-form investigative report on it on our website, reconsidermedia.com. We even made a video about it. The almost all large claims of voter fraud stem from this organization called the Public Interest Legal Foundation, or PILF for short. They actually call themselves that. Um, and the head of the organization is affiliated with Donald Trump. He's been appointed by Trump to sit on different uh, official committees or commissions. Um, and th they... PILF also has a history of just straight up getting the data wrong and having to issue corrections afterwards. And unsurprisingly, the, the mistakes they, that they made supported the positions that they were, um, they were, they were trying to push. So there, there really is not a lot of voter fraud. Yes, it happens, but on a scale that matters, um, essentially not consequential. And if you want the details of that, um, go check out our long form report. We actually, you know, we looked at all the articles citing all the different data that we can find about this and went and found the original reports and read through them. So uh, voter fraud's not really an issue. Um, now, Eric, the, th the point you mentioned about right-wing nationalist militias, uh, I have to admit, I was pretty scared uh, and continue to be fairly scared about that. And right. part of the reason has been uh, for, for me, and I still don't think that Weimar Germany is a very good comparison to the US, and I, I'll mention a couple of points, but People have been making that comparison forever, right? Right. Uh, certainly since Trump's come to office. And it's, it always goes like something, something Trump did I didn't like, therefore Nazi Germany. And there are so many historical differences between the US today and Weimar Germany. 
perhaps the most pressing being that the Weimar Republic was only a couple of years old uh, when Hitler came to power. It, it only started being a republic in 1919. Germany only became a country in 1870, and it was a monarchy up right. until after World War I. Uh, very different today. We have a long tradition of Republican institutions going through very shaky times. So that's a difference. But one of the things that I've always said is the difference between today and then is you don't have roving bands of brown shirts. You don't have an independent source of of force uh, that, that is unconnected to official government structures. Right. And the fact that the president is now very publicly saying that he supports the idea of our militias, I don't know what else you call the Proud Boys, they right. are an armed militia group, uh, going to polling stations on election night to look over people's shoulders is extraordinarily disconcerting to me, and there's no other way around it. And I think that that counts as one similarity. It's not yeah. good. I don't think there's any way around it. Right. What do you think about that? I, I mean, I agree it's not good. I think one major difference with the brown shirts and now is that the brown shirts had the backing of the state. Remember that Trump is not the state. Trump mm-hmm. is a major actor in the state, but the police forces are controlled by the sovereign states of America. There is a national police force that is not, you know, and there's the military. Blessedly, our military is like, we're not getting involved. Leave us mm-hmm. out of it. It is probably the most important institution or institutional consistency that we have going for us right now, that the military is like, uh-uh, not getting involved. And I think that's part of the reason there's not going to be a civil war, a capital C, capital W civil war. Um, the president, you know, are, are, are there going to be, are militias going to show up to voting stations? Possibly. One of the things to keep in mind is that they're not particularly well organized. And, you know, the, the groups of them, and there aren't all that many of them. And they will be opposed by the police. Right. So, so I don't see, I, unlike Weimar Republic or, say, Afghanistan I, or, or the Roman Republic, where there was no police, right? There's no police. So, Roman Republic, no police, just, just armed bands of maniacs with clubs. Weimar Republic, these guys were backed by the police. Afghanistan, insufficient police power compared to, the Taliban, right? Um, and so you had, you know, you had mass voter intimidation uh, in all three of these situations. Is there going to be mass voter intimidation here? I don't think so. Um, I think you're going to get, you're going to, it's, it's going to be dramatic because um, I think some people are going to try, but I don't think there's, I don't think there's enough, there's enough organization. And I don't think there are enough of them in enough places to have a huge impact. So for example, the Proud Boys, there are a couple thousand of them. They're just particularly nasty. And um, now there may be far more sympathizers, but there are a couple thousand Proud Boys throughout the country. Now there are many, many other militias. There are the three percenters who are bigger. But I, yeah, I don't think you can get the level of organization that you had with the brown shirts. Um, and I think another key difference is we talked about this in another podcast episode about political violence is that the... Uh, the brown shirts and the communists each had their own roving bands of armed thugs all fighting each other. And it was, and I, and I think a key part of both the fall of the Roman Republic and the Weimar Republic was you had mass extended street fighting from two armed sides where the average person then said, just bring in a strong man to make it go away. Right. Mm -hmm. I am, I am unsafe. People I know are dying. Um, And when Caesar said, 
or I guess even like Crassus said like, look, I'm just going to put a lid on it. And was like, great, come on in. Right. Um, or when Hitler said, I'm just going to put a lid on it. Oh, and by the way, the Reichstag burned down. It's probably those dirty communists. Right. <laughs> it was a little more yeah. credible because you had people had this experience of people running around burning stuff to the ground. So I it's look, it's scary that we're having this conversation. But I do think I do think that there are some important key differences. And the important key difference is this. The state, the state and the American states still have a powerful police force that is very easy to organize that stands for the state as much as there are, of course, like people friendly to white supremacy in the police force. Um, these police forces are not allies of white nationalist militias um, and have the ability to preserve law and order in a way that some of our historical examples either chose not to or were unable to. We do know that some police agencies have cooperated with militia groups that have been predominantly white. I forget which, which city this was in, but I, I remember reading about it and seeing photos that essentially verified it. Um, uh, there's no sign that that's systemic across the country. One, one other thing that I'll mention from the recent Common Sense podcast that I thought was an interesting comparison was that one of the main reasons that Caesar decided to cross the Rubicon is because he was heavily indebted and knew if he lost power, he was going to be prosecuted and possibly at that point in history just killed by yep. his political opponents. 100%. So he said, screw it, uh, whatever. You know, I don't have a whole lot to lose. Let's see what happens if I roll the dice. Yes. Oh, and, and surely Trump's going to try the same thing. 100%. And one major difference, of course, is that there is... Was, was that as much as, you know, at the same time, Rome lacked a police force. It also at the time lacked a military force that was loyal to Rome because of the, was it Crassus that did it first? No, Marius, because of the Marian reforms. Marius and Sulla. Yeah. yeah, sorry, not Crassus, it was Sulla. Sorry. Uh, anyway, Mike Duncan, Mike Duncan is rolling his eyes. At me. But, <laughs> but because of the Marian reforms, armies were loyal personally to these generals. And there was not a tradition of armed forces defending the Republic. Uh, there was a tradition of, there was a, well, sorry, there was, but it was gone, right? Yeah, Pre- it was before. Yeah, before yeah. the Punic Wars, that was true. The Punic Wars depleted, you know, the Punic Wars like depleted the ranks of the, uh, of the legions, of the, of the Republican legions, uh, both because people died and because people's farms failed and they had to sell them. And you needed to, to join the legions. You had to have land. And so Marius was like, what if I just form my own legions from people who don't have land? and just gave them loot because the Senate won't pay for them. And that's mm-hmm. how that all happened. Um, so there are, we're like, we are, we are blessed right now that some of our key institutions that are designed to preserve the peace and you know, have a fairly large monopoly on power, they remain neutral and neutral and I don't want to say Republican, but like, but, but backing the backing of our institutions and traditions. It is good that the U.S. government pays the salaries of people in the military. Exactly. Um, Exactly. Exactly. And uh, they continue in their tradition of saying, look, it doesn't matter if the president says, hey, just keep me in power. They're going to say, no, not our job. I think the. So, so is street violence possible? I think it's even likely at this point, um, just given what we saw uh, about the militias. Sorry, these guys are terrorists, right? Like they're they're using violence to try to to change politics. Like Political, the guys, yeah. the guys who wanted to 
kidnap Megan Whitmer, our terrorists, anyone who wants to like bring guns to a polling location to intimidate voters is a terrorist. That is the definition of terrorism. Like literally. <laughs> Even according to the government's definition, right? Like it is using force for political motives. Exactly. Exactly. The um, end. The end. Yeah. So is there going to be political terrorism? Probably. Um, is it going to be ugly? Yes. Are people going to die? Yes. Is Trump going to be able to steal the election? Probably not with guns. And if there's a, I happen to think we can get into this. Oh, sorry. We've got a whole section. What happens if Trump contests the election? So I think the other thing we do need to look into is like mail-in voting a little bit because the, uh, kind of, I think it's unfortunate because, uh, there's, uh, there's this kind of like crack that lets some daylight through where like 10 ballots were inadvertent were were mistakenly thrown out in Pennsylvania and seven of the votes or maybe nine ballots, but seven of the votes happen to be for Trump. And so we've got this example. Now, of course, they were recovered and they're going to be counted, but, uh, you know, but kind of too late. And uh, of course, the, the guy who did that has been fired. Uh, but this example that is real, you know, it's just like with any propaganda, you get this example that is real and you use it to paint this picture that there's this widespread thing going on. When there's no reason to think that there is this widespread thing going on, um, I think the the what's kind of amazing about the uh, the mass voter fraud assumption here is that it depends on it depends on like this assumption that everyone like, like the everyone handling the voting process just like wants Democrats to win one and two is willing to cheat that like somehow the Democrats have this like monopoly lock on the voting process from the United States Postal Service to counting the votes to all this stuff. And, and that they're all kind of in cahoots to, uh, to get Biden elected. And it just, I, you know, of course, as soon as you start to challenge that significantly and ask for any evidence, it falls apart. But, um, you know, it's, it's one of the president's fortes is, is being able to make a emotionally compelling case without presenting evidence to support it. But I think that's the ultimate downfall of this kind of like mass, you know, mass voter fraud claim is that is that it would need to be very one sided. And in the places that matter, like, for example, Pennsylvania, right, is Trump going to claim that there was massive voter fraud in Pennsylvania when he loses the state? Probably. Well, who, you know, is the is the legislature which appoints all the people who handle the elections? Is it Republican or Democrat? Well, it's Republican. Same thing with Wisconsin. Same thing with Florida, right? So if he loses Florida, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, he's going to claim that the Democrats stole the election, even though the Republicans ran the election. So, you know, it's, it's, I think, I think it, this claim, I think it, it would be wrong of us not to at least address this claim. Um, but it, but it breaks down fairly quickly as soon as you put any light on it. And, uh, you know, I think, I, I remember I got, I think the last thing I want to say about it before we move on to like what happens if Trump contests the election is, you know, we, we made the case earlier that like that Louis DeJoy was probably, or I at least made the case, uh, I think from the balance of analysis or the balance of, fa- of, of evidence that like Louis DeJoy was not involved uh, in the month of June in a conspiracy to undermine the United States presidential election by being a little bit more aggressive about removing, you know, removing sorting capacity uh, than his predecessors. However, it does seem clear that Trump 
does want like Trump. Trump is probably worried about, you know, worried about mail in voting leading to him losing by more in part because, look, turnout for like turnout for poorer Americans who tend to vote Democratic and black Americans who tend to vote Democratic is lower. There are a lot of states where by design, there are fewer voting machines, uh, fewer uh, and like fewer opportunities for them to vote. It's called, you know, it's it's voter suppression and mail in balloting makes it easy. Right. You just have to. Mm -hmm. I I already did it. Filled out the thing. Ship it. Done. And, um, you know, so what it means is that you're likely to get an increase in a historical increase in turnout of people who otherwise had difficulty voting. And by the way, most of them vote Democrat. So, of course, Trump wants to Trump knows that this the the historical moment of mail in balloting makes it harder to suppress the vote, makes it harder to uh, win the election where where the race would be close. And uh, and so, of course, he wants to of course, he wants to undermine it. Um, There's also some evidence that I got from a study that USA Today published that um, uh, sorry, not a study, a poll that Biden voters are likely by a margin of two to one to use mail in voting versus Trump voters. So if you can get that whole, if if you can, you know, if you're sitting there scheming and saying, how can I possibly win this election? If you can, you know, get a court to, or someone to say like, you know what, all these mail-in votes, like it's just such a mess. We just have to throw them all out. Right. It's a good tactic. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's ugly and it's going to be ugly, but, but I think from what we can see, there's no particular reason to think that there's going to be either one massive fraud or even two, as we as we covered in the USPS episode that we did, it doesn't seem that like the United States Postal Service is 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 going to like just lose a bunch of ballots or like they're going to like catch fire or end up in a hole somewhere because of the reduction in capacity. And you know there are going to be there are certainly going to be a few instances. It depends state by state. Like some of them, you know, some states like will count every ballot if it's postmarked by election day. So even if it's late. Right. It'll still get voted. Some of them, it has to show up by three days after Election Day, at which point if you submit your mail in ballot late and the USPS is a little bit backed up, it might not get counted. How big is that going to be? We don't know. And could it otherwise tip the election? Maybe. Probably not. If if Biden has this big a lead, which is kind of the like that's that's the kind of thing. Like, I think if we look back on this election and say, how do we get through with our heads on straight? It was that it wasn't close, right? Mm-hmm. It was that we didn't go in expecting a close election and we didn't get one. Um, and, and that's kind of because uh, it'll it'll it, it will if it's not close, it makes all these opportunities to try to, like, challenge the election, which we're about to talk about much harder to much harder to execute. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So what, what does it look like if Trump challenges the election? And here, and here, just based on the polls, I think we're, we're, our analysis is working on the assumption that he loses and then subsequently right, contests the election. That might not happen. We can't predict the future. But this seems like a plausible scenario right now. The votes that come in, maybe not plausible, but possible. The votes that come in on election night on November 3rd lean towards Trump because of the statistic that, Eric, you just talked about, Biden voters two to one and likely to vote by mail. Um, and some of those ballots might come in really early this year or they might not. And they might come in late. And um, if that happens, Trump could easily make the case that, OK, look, I've won. He makes that announcement on the evening of November 3rd, even if a lot of uh, large media companies are not reporting on the win at that point because there is such a delay. I don't know if they're going to do that, but some of them have talked about it. Right. Um, and then if the numbers change, that is when the claims of fraud would potentially come in. And, you know, the, the narrative is kind of clear. It's like, oh, the numbers were saying one thing and then they weren't, you know, fake news, something, something. It's a fraud, whatever. At the same time, <laughs> I mean, there's 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 not a whole lot to substantiate this, right? right? Especially because we know that the president has said the only way that this is a legitimate victory is if I win. Right. And I mean, that's that's the extreme of a political ploy if you've ever heard one. Right. Right. I, I, yeah, I have to interrupt for a moment. What Do is it. I think the thing that the thing I am sad about and like, you know, hey, Trump voters, if you're listening, like I'd love I'd actually love for you to like write me. Like, I promise I won't pick a fight with you. I'm, I've just got better things to do than fight. But I do want to, like, fight with, like, one random American or 10. But I am really interested, like, when you've got a guy who's sitting there saying, like, you know what? The only way that this outcome is legitimate is if I win. And otherwise, I will contest it. When you've got a guy who is, you know, gone to Pennsylvania, said, hey, look, even if I lose Pennsylvania, how about you guys just throw me the electoral votes anyway? When you've got a guy who said, you know what, let's just arrest Biden, right? 26 days before the election, let's just arrest the guy um, and tell the world, you know, it, look, it, and, and, you know, he told the world that he said, let's just arrest the guy. How do you support him? Like, how do you, how do you vote for him? It, it, you know, I, I, I do want someone to like, try to, I want to hear the case, right? And I'm not going to agree with it. Um, you kind of know where I stand about this personally, but. I think everyone who listens to this show is like abnormally smart and abnormally thoughtful and self-examining. And I, I'm sure there are some Trump voters who listen to this who are like, you know, or who like listen to this episode right now, just like kind of grinding their teeth. And maybe we're even doing the president a disservice somehow. And so I think it's important for 
I, I want to understand it, but but um, you know, this may also be a good opportunity for us to print some sort of retraction that like maybe the president isn't planning to arrest his political rivals and throw them in jail in order to not lose the election. I don't know. Uh, but I'd love to hear your perspective. Sorry, continue, Senator. Uh no, I I that's great. I I if you if you email Eric, CC me, Eric at reconsidermedia.com. It's Eric with a K and Xander at reconsidermedia.com. We've printed retractions before. We will invariably do it again in the future because we're right. human beings and we make a mistake. <laughs> and I keep coming back to, I think that that's the, the one thing that's missing in, in our public sphere is the ability to just be people to say, oh, I was wrong. Yeah. Um, and we talk about this a lot in our Reconsider Principles and Discussion Strategies, which you have, if you haven't picked up a copy yet, just subscribe to our newsletter. You'll get them for free. And one thing we say is the, the paradox of being wrong is that in order to be right more often, you have to be more willing to be wrong because right. that's just how the numbers work out, right? I'm going to again mention the Dan Carlin episode. And the reason I keep bringing this up is just because Eric and I were chatting about it before we hit record. But um, something that, that he mentioned that has, it's been a thought that's resonated in my head before I listened to it. Um, he, you know, he's not exactly pro- progressive. He's a libertarian, if, if anything, Dan Carlin. Um, I, and I, I re- Eric, you're shaking your head. I, I say that I'm with caveats. It. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's he, got some socially conservative tendencies about him as well. Not in the sure. sense of like, Ooh, gay's bad, but more like, hey, Athens was onto something, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm saying this just to say that what I what I'm about to say I don't think fits neatly into one of the partisan narratives that right. that exists out there. So his point was, you know, I've talked with people throughout my life who are big pro Second Amendment people, and Eric, you grew up in a rural part of the country, and I I spent a lot of my time growing up in a rural part of the country. I grew up shooting guns and yeah, in I'm a gun back country, and yeah. yeah. Um, so I have no problem with the Second Amendment. And one of the big arguments, and this is the point that Dan Carlin makes, of pro-Second Amendment people is, is it's a check on central, uh, central government tyranny. And it's hard for me to imagine any situation that threatens tyranny more than a president saying, I'm going to lock up all my opponents right. and the, the, the whole election is going to be a fraud uh, unless I win. So he was saying, you know, Second Amendment people... Um, you've been telling this to me yep. my entire life since I was on the radio in the 90s. Where are you right now? This is exactly the sort of person in office that you've been claiming you own guns in order to oppose. Exactly. And of course, more often than not, uh, pro, pro-gun people are, are pro-Trump. I, I, not, not always and not all across the board, but there is some correlation there is all I'm saying. Right. I think uh, there, was a, oh, was it? there was an Onion article that was like, NRI apologizes for forgetting to rise up against tyranny or, or something <laughs> like that. And this was during the, like the boar tack deployment to Portland kind of thing. The, you know, and I, boar tack. I think what I, we're, we're going to, we're actually going to get into like, we're, I'm saving it for now. There's a, how did we get here section of this that I mentioned might be another episode, depending on how long this takes us, but cause we're already at 50 minutes somehow, but yeah. Uh, but it's about it's about like basically how did Americans get to the point that they have these two mutually exclusive narratives about how the world works, right? Or what's going on, right? Like it used to be the case that we'd say like, ah, yes, uh, we have, I don't know, like we all agree that X is true. And like, I think the way to fix it is X and you think the way to fix it is Y. And now it's that like, now it's, it's, it's. We, we're living in separate worlds. How did we get there? I want to talk about that. Because um, I think it's the only way to explain how 42% of Americans support, support the president, despite what he's doing, because they just hear a different narrative. Because I think if, if you were sitting here hearing, like, 
ah, yes, the guy wants to imprison his political opposition in order to win the election. And, you know, that the guy has, you know, obviously used his position to enrich himself illegally and all this stuff. Like, you probably wouldn't support the guy anymore. Anyway, uh, we'll get to that. So what happens, what happens if Trump tries to contest the election? So there are kind of two primary paths he could go down. One of them is to try to get a majority in the Electoral College by uh, essentially going state by state and saying, actually, there's a lot of fraud. Uh, you should invalidate the results of the election in your state and hand the votes to me, which you have the constitutional right to do. Because uh, it turns out, we've talked about the Electoral College before, it's weird. Most people don't know how it works. And you actually technically don't vote for a president, even though you do. You technically vote for electors who go to the Electoral College and decide who the president's going to be. And it's like, it, it was never supposed to work this way, but here we are. Um, so the state can still choose, technically, probably, or rather, it may take a shot at choosing to just give its electoral votes to whoever it wants. And so Trump has, for example, already gone to Pennsylvania and said, what if you just do that? Right. And now, is it likely to do it? No. But there's been a lot of things that seem unlikely that have happened this year. So that's option one is doesn't matter that I lost the state. Uh, I'm going to say fraud, 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 invalidate the results. And you just send me the electoral votes. Um, and I win. Ta-da! The other option is uh, the other option is kick it to Congress. So how do you do that? You hang up the the declaration, the like kind of official declaration of the results and selection of electors in a state or a few states enough, long enough that the Electoral College has to meet anyway. And so they either send like free electors or no electors, maybe. Um, it's a little hard to know exactly how it play out, but you say, but like you make it unclear how that state is supposed to send electors or prime its electors and uh, nobody gets a majority. Um, and if nobody gets a majority, then Congress, now it's the incoming Congress, not the outgoing Congress, which is very important. The incoming Congress picks who the president is. And you go, oh, okay, there's tons of Democrats. So that'll be easy. Eh, wrong. Uh, turns out <laughs> that, that in this process in particular, you don't vote by district, by like representative district, you vote by state delegation. So like the state of Arizona gets one vote. The state of Delaware gets one vote. The state of Texas gets one vote. The state of California gets one vote. Right now, 26 of 50 states have Republican majorities representing them in congress crazy huh so if if the republicans could somehow hold on to 25 or 26 states uh they could just decide to elect trump anyway now of course should either of those happen despite biden you know again we're assuming that biden like pretty handily wins here and it's not like it's not down to the wire if it's down to the wire like i don't uh, ah right just, just it's gonna be bad because yeah. americans all over the country are gonna lose any faith in the democratic process and we've got much bigger problems on our hand. Then we start talking very seriously about the Roman Republic, the Weimar Republic. But, um, uh, I can't believe we're having this fucking conversation, but I know how did it come to this? How did it come to this? But assuming it's a fairly broad margin of victory, um, uh, for Biden, um, you know, if it goes, if it ends up in Congress's hands somehow, or you have these free electors who are there, you know, some people have to make some choices about what they're going to do 
And are they going to provoke a constitutional crisis or not? Are they going to try to represent the will of the people? And, and it will be horrible and nail-biting and uh, liquor stores will sell out and um, ammo supplies will sell out or ammo stores will have. sell out. Yeah, I already have. But but yeah, let's we can get we can get a little bit more into we can get a little bit more into how these scenarios could play out and then how to stave how to stave them off, like how to keep either of these from happening, because like generally it would be bad um kind of for the country, for uh the will of the people as we understand it to not translate into who's president. I think it's worth covering this point why Pennsylvania is so important. So as we talk through as we talk through these two scenarios, probably both of them are going to flow through Pennsylvania. And here's why. If you go to the 538 forecast, the snake graph makes it, pretty, makes it very clear. Pennsylvania is always the one that's hanging out, straddling the 270 electoral vote part of the snake graph. Why is that? It's just because it's, it like just so happens that all of the states that are... Like it's it's the it's the linchpin state because Biden could lose everything where he has less of a lead. So like he could lose Florida, Arizona, North Carolina, Ohio, and still be fine if he takes Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania, he has less of a lead than he has in Wisconsin, Nevada, Minnesota, Michigan, New Hampshire, Colorado, etc. So what it would mean is like if there's kind of a national shift to get closer, and it have to get a fair bit closer at this point. But like let's say it happens because we're talking hypotheticals here. Because again, at this point, it looks like it's going to be a blowout. But if it happens, if there's like a five point shift nationally, then Pennsylvania is the state that matters. And if there isn't that big shift, forget it. Like there's it doesn't matter. And if there's more than that shift, Trump just wins anyway. But Pennsylvania, if there's going to be a linchpin, it's going to be Pennsylvania. So we're going to talk about how this could go down in Pennsylvania. So we've talked about how Trump can could potentially contest the election. And one of those has to do with state delegates being sent to cast a vote if there's a contestation. Um, So if Trump manages to convince state legislators, legislatures to give him enough electoral votes, um, then you could potentially have a constitutional crisis in some of those states. And in the case of Pennsylvania, Democratic Governor uh, Tom Wolf probably veto bills, uh, but a non-binding resolution could be passed. And it's just not exactly clear at that point how the electoral votes would be apportioned out. Eric, you have this example here of, of 1872, where three states sent competing groups of electors to the Electoral College, which clearly could add to the sense of some sort of either lack of legitimacy or crisis going on. Um, at that point, it's possible or probable that um, the courts get involved, and that would probably start at, um, at, the, state court level, at the state court level. At that point, Trump would file appeals. The state mm-hmm. courts would get involved and there would probably be a lot of uh, disagreement. And if there's enough disagreement at, at the state court level, that's when potentially it could roll up to the Supreme Court. Right. And that's how that's where at least that's one of the ways that this whole thing ends up back at the Supreme Court uh, like it was in 2000. Right. Although in 2000, it was because the, the vote was so, so, so close right. here. It's clearly for potentially other reasons. Um, and then all of the unfortunate politics of the Supreme Court um, come into play. And I say un- unfortunate because um, <laughs> you wrote this great article, man, um, about the Supreme Court that I-, I keep referencing because, you know, sometimes, you know, they say a picture says a thousand words. If it's a nice graph, it can do that, too. And the graph just- that just completely changed my mind on the politic- politicization of the Supreme Court was this one that you published in this article, mm-hmm. because everyone seems to think 
that the vast majority of cases in the Supreme Court are split down the middle and therefore we have all these problems. But the vast majority of cases in the Supreme Court are not split down the middle and the plurality of them are unanimous and a majority are not close. Correct. Um, but, you know, right now we would still potentially have a split court depending on what happens with the nomination of Barrett. Um, so yeah, I don't imagine know. having eight. Eight people on the Supreme Court handling that case. You're like, ah, (laughs) what if it's tied? Yeah. Um, So it's it's uh, unlikely uh, or it's it's uh, it's impossible to know exactly how that plays out if the courts start getting involved because the election is close enough to be contested to that degree. Right now, if somehow there's so much chaos that uh, states send free electors, you know, the idea that they could just kind of like vote for whoever they want even though technically they're supposed to be voting for who the people decided that the electors should vote for and nobody has majority going in, then anyone could possibly come out the victor. Um, Or if the electors could say, you know, actually, we're not going to touch that. That's not our role and vote for some random person, some random third party person or, you know, who knows? Tom Hanks for president. It just doesn't sound like a novel idea right now. And if if that happens and there's no decision coming out of the electoral college, then it goes to the House and and then it boils down to it wouldn't be it would be the house, but it wouldn't be the house voting by percentage representation. It would be by state vote, right? Yep. So these oh, are God. Yeah, it's it's bananas. Um, and so these are the two paths that Trump would likely try to use to stay in power um, because he he can't do it through force. I know I know people go like, oh, he's going to use the army. Army's like, uh-uh, <laughs> not happening. Um, they don't even like him. But even if they did, uh, they wouldn't get involved. But but luckily, they really don't. So these would be the two paths that he tries, probably trying both simultaneously. And, and the, you know, the, how do we stop this from happening? Like, cause what would be really nice, would be really, really nice is like sometime in November, we know who our president's going to be. Right. And, um, or at least we've got a pretty good idea. And what's the, what's the obvious way to, to get that is to have a landslide. Right. Mm-hmm. So here's the, think about the game theory of this. So long story short is if you're gonna, well, I'll quote The Wire, even though it's a little inappropriate. If you come for the king, you best not miss, hmm. right? So if, if you're going to take a shot, right, at, if you're going to take a shot at trying to upset this election, you have to win. Because if you end up on the wrong side of it, you might be in jail. Um, you're at least screwed in a lot of ways. Uh, but there are negative consequences, you know, for any kind of coup. Um, and this isn't quite a coup, but it's, uh, but for any coup-like activity, Losing's really, 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 really bad. And like really bad, uh, in case that wasn't clear. And so and so if it is if if it's down to just Pennsylvania and the vote is really close, the game theory says you can maybe get away with it. Like you can decide, like you're the Republican legislature, you there's a pretty decent chance you decide the outcome. But what if Biden wins Pennsylvania by 10 points? Oh, and he also has won Arizona. You know, and of course, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, um, uh, and he's also won North Carolina, and he's also won, by God, Ohio. What that means is that you as a, you as a single state alone can't change the result. So you're not going to try. Like, if you're acting on your own, you're not going to try. So there's, um, and, uh, ev- and the bigger the, the election victory, the less probable it is that the courts are going to support what you do like the more likely it's like if biden wins like even if it's so there's there's two factors here right there's by how much does biden win each state and how many states does biden win 
the more those numbers are bigger, the more the game theory says to everyone who's in those states, even if they really, really want Trump to win and they don't care about our democratic institutions and they're fine just degrading the entire system to get this guy in power because they're brainwashed maniacs, right? Like, even if that was true, the game theory says you can't like, like it is very, it becomes harder to, 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 sorry, game theory says you're probably not going to pull it off. And by trying to pull it off and losing, you're in a lot of trouble. So don't bother. So Trump, of course, of course, is going to like, if anyone, anyone can write me and take a 10 to $1,000 bet, um, if you want that, like after the election, um, Trump will have Trump will have lost and he will claim that it was fraudulent. Right. Anyone wants to bet a thousand a hundred dollars against my thousand can can feel free to do that. Um, he's signaled enough that he's going to he's told the world that that's his plan. Right. Repeatedly in many different ways. So he's going to do it. Um, but that doesn't mean, you know, one thing I've reminded people is just because Trump doesn't want to leave the Oval Office doesn't mean he gets to stay uh, at the end of the day. Like there is a there is a system that is a level like removed from Trump that will declare a victor. And if there is a landslide. Um, if there is a landslide for Biden, the, the idea of all of these people in all of these states coordinating in a conspiracy to try to hand Trump the election becomes so far-fetched that they don't bother. You know, the, the electoral college shows up, they vote for Biden, and it is officially over. There's really nothing you can do at that point. So that's the way to, that's the way to stay soft. Now, of course, Trump could win, uh, but he's probably not going to. Wait, hold on. Ah, got it. Okay. So I, I'm going to pose a question to you, Eric, um, mm. and I'm going to use it as an opportunity to refer back to one of our prior episodes, because right when we started reconsidering the beginning of 2016, before Trump came into office, we did a show about demagogues, um, which mm-hmm. highly recommend uh, y'all go back and listen to uh, and just see how it's measured up to the yep. last four years. Make Athens um, great again. <laughs> do you remember and then the atlantic ripped off our piece yeah i was so mad oh god we we had this entire podcast episode about making uh making athens great again and using examples from that period in history and uh because there were a lot of demagogues and then like a, a month after we published the ep- that, that episode the atlantic came out with the exact same piece using the ex- anyways it, who knows um if if people from the atlantic are li- listening to our show um glad you're a listener i guess um no, we are. Thanks. Um, so what I was going to say is the, the challenge then, because you say uh, Trump doesn't get to decide whether he wants to stay or not. Right. And I think one of the things that he has been particularly good at in office is something that probably a lot of demagogues are, which is pushing the system and, and testing the system and seeing if the the safeguards that that structurally claim to be there are actually there, because at the end of the day, you know, uh, a government and a country is maintained because the government has some sort of monopoly on violence and violence and, co- and coercion and can force people into into doing certain things like not committing crimes because there are punishments. Right. Right. Um, and Trump has pushed that envelope a lot. So let's say and I know that this is a speculation. We don't usually do that. Um, but he loses and stays in office. And anyways, right. Wh- what at that point would be the, the you know, how would the system react? What would be that 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 one level remove system that you talked about that actually comes in and takes that decision out of his hands. I, 
I'm sure there's something in place for this. I don't know what it is. Do you know? Well, it's, there's nothing officially in place like a la the Constitution. Like the Constitution doesn't have a, you know, upon, you know, on, on, the, on the, the day that someone is nominated, like the following group, like the Swiss Guard will show up and escort the president <laughs> out, right? Like we don't have that officially. Uh, the big brains, um, the big brains that have been thinking about it uh, are like kind of like Biden and his team, Pelosi. Um, and parts of, uh, uh, sorry, the, the department of justice and the short version is it's what we don't know is like whose job it is specifically to go escort the president out of the oval office, but that, uh, and so that's the, maybe that's the like final warble as he sit in there and be like, I'm not going to go make me right and and it's like who's okay like who has to do this and like and um you know there's probably probably nobody wants to uh take that responsibility however i i guess i just can't imagine um you know pelosi who's like the you know she she's the arguably she's the most powerful person in the country um uh you know, the like kind of constitutionally, like the speaker of the house or like that, the, the house should be more powerful than the president. Um, there's no way she's losing a majority. So uh, the house can can act and like may just like they may pass a resolution that like demand or a bill that says like, OK, we're going to create a system. Right. We're going to create a process. Um, and like you, you know, like you poor bastards in. uh you know, in like the military, like like the military police of D.C. or the FBI or, you know, someone have to be the ones go do it. Um, and so and of course, what would be required for that not to work is like all of these institutions to decide they're like more personally loyal to Trump than they are to the uh, uh, than they are to the nation. Um, and their jobs and uh, at which point you would have a civil war because you'd have all these armed people say like no we'll just back trump because we're personally loyal to him which like luckily blessedly they are not blessedly so i think for for this episode we're gonna put a pin in it because it has gotten longer than we anticipated um but we're we're actually just going to keep going uh with with the rest of what we mapped out and we'll release the second episode very soon within a day or two um just because we want it to be out before the election but you know an hour and change is uh, about all we can reasonably ask of our listeners so we'll we'll pin it here and pick up with how do we even got this far on on the next episode where we're going to talk about uh, some of the the media issues which we talk a lot about or reconsider some of the technological issues um and that's where we'll pick up yeah so uh see you in a bit don't even let us do the thinking for you pause and reconsider this is Eric prepping for part two. <laughs> this is Xander. Uh, we'll see you shortly. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.